we just give Pat Gray a cheer as she shares this morning? Let's give her a cheer. <laughs> Pat, over to you. Thank you for that welcome. Um, should we just pray a minute? Father God, we, we're overwhelmed by your blessings and your goodness to us, Lord. We just honor you and praise you this morning. We thank you for this time just to think, to talk together. We pray that you'll teach us, Lord. Teach us your ways. Teach us your word. Write your laws on our heart, Father, just as we share together now. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the last few weeks, Mark and John and uh, Stuart Allen have been teaching us and opening up some of aspects of our vision to be a kingdom-building community rather than an empire-building one. And you can see um, on the slide there some of the characteristics of what we've been talking about And one of the things I've come to realize as I've been thinking about some of these things is that all of these characteristics of a kingdom-building community actually begin in our attitudes, both together as a company of people and as individuals. And our attitudes, they spring from our heart, don't they? They come from our heart, our soul, our mind, and our body. They're at the very core of us, what it means to be a human being. For me, that's the really challenging part. We can all agree in theory with a vision statement, a set of principles. We can all say a big amen to them. But bringing them into being is challenging and it's costly to ourselves as a group of people and to myself as an individual. And what I've begun to see more and more from the Bible is that God's plan for building his kingdom is actually for us to follow the pattern that Jesus gave us. The Apostle Paul wrote about this to the church in Philippi. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, a slave. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus' obedience began with an attitude. And it's as we follow Jesus' way from the inside out of us that I believe we give him the space and the potential to work through us, both together and individually, to change things for the better in our world, to literally see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's always been the Father's plan to do it this way. This is the way that God works in and through people. In Romans 8, it says this, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The sun stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. So, relating our attitudes then back to our vision, let's take a quick look at some of the characteristics of kingdom builders that we've got on our vision chart. If we want to influence 
That's clever, isn't it? Mark did that for me. If we want to influence our world for good, that has to begin with a heart attitude to serve people and not to dominate them. If our motivation is to love, our attitudes have to be selfless first before our behavior can. Otherwise, we're in danger of becoming what Paul called clashing gongs, clanging, clashing gongs, clashing cymbals, talking the talk, but not necessarily walking the love walk. And if our desire is to resolve disputes among us, we have to begin from attitudes, don't we? Of humility, forgiveness, and a desire to restore relationships. If our outlook is to respect, honor, and bless, rather than to take or consume, we have to first ask ourselves some hard questions about our attitudes And also use our imagination to think about the implications. And it's this area of respecting, honouring and blessing that I want us to zoom in on this morning. And first of all, before I say anything else, I just want to ask you what you understand by the word honour. Because it's a word in English that has actually lots of different connotations. Quick, five definitions of honour. Anybody shout out? Respect. Pardon? Being thankful for someone. Any more? Trustworthy. An honorable person is trustworthy. That's right. Anything else? Pardon? Esteeming others. That's lovely. Yes. So in terms of our outlook then, here are a few questions we could ask ourselves. If we practice respectful, esteemful, honoring and blessing attitudes towards one another in our homes, what will our relationships look like? How would daily life improve? If we practice them in our neighborhoods, what difference will it make? How will the kingdom come? How could practicing respectful, honoring and blessing attitudes change things at my work? What might this unlock in my or our relationships to wider society or, in fact, the whole of God's creation? What does it mean to respect, honor and bless from my or our hearts outward? So now, annoyingly, I know just as you started thinking about those questions, I'm going to ask you to park them temporarily. We'll come back to them in a minute. Now, Jesus, in one of his picture stories, talks about the kingdom of God being like yeast, quietly acting to grow a batch of dough. And, you know, when we make bread, we put flour in a bowl, we add yeast, a little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar, some warm water. And we mix it all up and we wait for something magical to happen. And in the same way that we don't see the action of the yeast in making the dough grow in size, but we see the results, we don't always see or analyze kingdom attitudes in one another. But we can always see their outcomes. Dough is yeast activated. The kingdom, I would suggest, is respect, honor, and blessing activated. And the reverse is also true. 
When we see selfish, power-hungry behavior in ourselves or in the world, we know instinctively, don't we, that that started with a wrong attitude. The trouble is, the human solution is often to try to deal with the outcomes rather than the underlying attitudes. And it's very easy as Christians to adopt the same mindset, to get conformed to that way of reacting to things. And we can become just as frustrated, judgmental and negative as everyone else. So when politicians and newspapers talk about I don't know, feral youth running wild and loose on our streets and committing crime. When they talk about binge drinking and broken Britain, for example, they're often not prepared to talk about the selfish attitudes of adults who have often failed to commit long-term to being there in the family, to supporting their partners and bringing up their children. Doing the hard work of constancy, commitment, being a good example. And MPs might be just as guilty of that as any other group in society because selfish attitudes and behaviours are a challenge for all of us, aren't they? They're part of a sin condition, the only ultimate remedy for which is to come into line with God's blueprint for how we're to live. And I believe that happens ultimately through the salvation that Jesus gives us and the power that the Holy Spirit makes available to us. Just recently, I saw a report um, in a newspaper, it was on all the media, about nursing and caring for elderly, vulnerable people. A Royal Commission report was published a few weeks ago. And the report was very concerned about the lack of basic respect and honour being shown to elderly people by those who serve them. Nurses, doctors, carers appear to be treating their patients and clients in a patronizing and disrespectful manner. Now, what was the commission's solution? Well, there were a few, but one of them was to interview applicants for medicine and nursing for their qualities of basic warmth and compassion before they could ever get onto a course or a ward and only to select those for training who appeared to demonstrate the required potential to be kind. I thought that was really sad. In other words, they're trying to legislate for character because some young people appear not to have been trained in good manners and respectfulness in their growing up. But humanity, that shows me, is always trying to deal with the symptoms and the sicknesses while ignoring the underlying illness. And that's why we have laws, isn't it, and regulations and customer service agreements. But the law is never God's best solution. We need to remember to look underneath things, to discern what's going on at the root. So when we come slap bang up against problems, nasty situations in our own lives or those of others, and we all do sometimes, let's be honest, we have to keep on asking ourselves, What's actually going on here? What are the heart attitudes that are manifesting? It can be difficult to unpick the roots of things, and I'm not suggesting that we should be overanalyzing everything all the time. But I do believe it's only when we start to do that that we can really start to pray honestly and apply the ointment of respect, blessing, and honor realistically to situations and to people. 
And I believe very strongly that the Lord wants us to bring, bring us into a much greater dimension of doing this, applying respect, blessing, and honor into all our spheres in this season. So let's just spend a few more minutes thinking together about this area of respecting, honoring, and blessing others, and to discuss together some aspects which are to do with attitude. We find one of the earliest mentions of honoring in the Bible in Exodus 20, verse 12. Regard, that is, treat with honor, due obedience and courtesy your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land your God is giving you. This is the first commandment that's actually directed towards our relationship with other people rather than with God. And it's very significant, isn't it, that honor begins in the family. The family is our schoolhouse to develop attitudes day in, day out, night in, night out, over the long term. So God's intention is if we can embed honoring, respect, obedience, and courtesy deep within us at an early life stage, those attitudes will enable us actually to enjoy prosperity in every sphere of life later on, to fully inhabit the land our God is giving us. Now, I want to be honest here. I'll put my hands up and say, this is very challenging, isn't it? Living from attitudes of respecting, honoring, blessing others isn't always nice, And it isn't often easy. It's sometimes difficult, frustrating and wearing. Yes, even in Christian families and communities. Yes, even in my marriage and in my family. Because respecting, honoring, blessing isn't always nicey-nicey. Sometimes the best thing we can do for other people is to challenge their attitudes and behaviors. And that can be very messy, uncomfortable and painful And sometimes other people might challenge ours. And that's also messy, uncomfortable, and painful. But respecting, honoring, and blessing is what God is looking for. Because that's what he's like towards us. And we're made in his image. And I'm absolutely convinced that he's able to help us with the challenges. Which is really encouraging, isn't it? This is how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians And he, that's the Lord, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. In another translation, it says, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He is sufficient for us. I don't know about you, but I'm quite a practical person. If God requires something of me, like being able to respect, honor, and bless others in every situation of life, then I believe that he'll provide the wisdom, the tools, the how-tos to change and develop so that I can do it. I want to know how to utilize the grace of God that Paul's talking about. Now, some of that will come from the Bible, which I find is full of really practical principles, examples and guidance, both about how to be and how not to be. And in Romans 15, verse 4, the writer says this, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
Hope is in the word. As God instructs us through his word, we find that we have encouragement to persevere. The Bible gives us hope. It gives me hope that I can change and that situations can change. And many of the how-tos will also come from living with one another in families, in the community of believers. But we've got to stay close, open-hearted, submitted, yes, and accountable to one another. Yes, really. Ephesians 5 says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. Let's be careful. Let's be careful for one another. Let's be careful how we walk and subject that to one another in the fear of the Lord. And a third how-to is knowing the wisdom of God, which comes from having a teachable spirit, which I believe is always open to hear from the Holy Spirit himself. I need, if I'm open to hear and adjust and open and obedient to do what he asks me, it becomes easier to hear the next time. And in that way, I'm schooling my spirit and my attitudes to conformity with Jesus. And that's what God wants. The opposite is also true. Hebrews says this, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. The psalmist said, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. Do you know God communicates his thoughts to us? How vast is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I'm awake, I'm still with you. That means even in our sleeping, even in our resting, in our dreaming, God wants to communicate his thinking to us. And this is quite heavy. I don't mean it to be heavy, but I just want to say this. I believe to be really kingdom builders, God is asking us and calling us to live from a perpetual spirit of repentance. Now, what do I mean by that? Do I mean we're always in the wrong with God? No. Always miserable sinners? No. That we're perpetually having to ask for forgiveness and having to turn completely around and go in a different direction? No. I don't mean that. But what I mean about being called to live from a perpetual spirit of repentance is that we're training ourselves. We're always listening for God's voice, inclining our ear to him, as the psalmist says, meditating, reading, discussing, weighing up what the implications of God's words and his ways are for our attitudes and our behaviors, and being prepared to adjust course whenever he shows us something. It's like a pilot navigating a shipping lane where errors can take place. If the ship goes off course, sometimes ever so slightly, it can have really serious implications, as we saw with that recent very sad cruise ship accident. So we need to stay on course and avoid the obstacles. It's what some people call listening to your inner compass. And it might be a really small adjustment, minute in the grand scheme of things. It might just be... Yeah, going and saying sorry when you know that you've spoken sharply to someone that you love. Yeah, you know, they're going to forgive you. They're not going to hold it against you. But sometimes you just need to do that. You need to bring an inner adjustment. So we don't need to be those who always have to learn by our mistakes, do we? 
There's an encouragement here from Romans. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. I like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best in you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. Hallelujah. There's hope, isn't there? So let's get down to doing some work together now for a few minutes. And in order to help us think about attitudes and how we can change our own or other people's to bring about a kingdom culture of respect, honor, and blessing, I'd like us to use a little meditation that was written by Mother Teresa. Quite appropriate on Mother's Day, I think. That woman mothered thousands of people. And we'll read the poem together first, and then I'd like us to just turn around and get into small groups to consider for a moment. In some places, it's called a prayer, and in other places, it's called a blueprint for living. But I really like this. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone may destroy overnight. Build anyway. And if you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have. And it may never be enough, but give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's all between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. So if we can get into small groups just for a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to just do a little bit of work. Listing the underlying negative and positive attitudes that Mother Teresa describes. And then I want you to just talk together about some of the challenges of practicing positive attitudes and behaviors. And seeing how we can do it well for other people as well as for our families and our community here. (coughs) Okay, I hate to break in on your conversations. But I'm sorry that we've got to do that. There there are quite a few sheets out on the table. So if you want to take it away, consider it, work into it for yourself in more detail, do that. Or as Mark said, uh, it will be available on our website as we put all our teachings up there. And so you can work through it again online. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to cut across your conversations. Just to finish up, it's our custom, and it has been for a little while now, to speak what's called the ironic blessing, not the ironic blessing, the ironic blessing over one another uh, before we leave each other. And in the course of preparing for this, this morning and, and talking to Pete about things, we looked again at um, 
number six. And we were looking about what God had said about blessing one another in the context of honoring and respect and blessing that we've been speaking about this morning. It's interesting what the passage actually says. It says this. It said, God spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the people of Israel. Say to them, God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper. In so doing, they will place my name on the people and I will confirm it by blessing them. There's something incredibly powerful about that. When you bless with that blessing, you are placing, you are imparting, you are linking and joining the name of God, the names and the attributes of God to that person. When you're blessing them, you're coming, or God is coming behind it with his name, which is healer, provider, Prince of Peace, Almighty God, the Everlasting Father. All of his names and attributes are in, in his name. And when we bless others, it's like God seals the deal. Something supernatural and amazing happens and God himself comes behind that blessing. And that was his instruction to the priests to do that. And we're all priests, aren't we? We're priests in the household of God. When we bless others, we bring an impartation of the name of God to them. So to finish up with this morning, I just want you round the table where you are, just, you know, just reach out to one another and let's speak this blessing over them, believing that God is going to apply his names to their situation. Let's see what God will do. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.